0: Let's take our Bibles this morning and let's turn to Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter 21 this morning. And let's just read verse 26 and 27 and then we'll have a word of prayer. Acts 21 verse 26 says, Then Paul took the men, and the next day purifying himself with them, Entering into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification, until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. So let's open word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this most wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, and we thank you for everything you've done for us. We thank you for the salvation that's ours through Christ, your Son. We thank you, Lord, for your Word, and the privilege it is to study your Word, and to to learn more about you, and to learn the the great truths, the doctrines of your Word. I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning as we consider this passage, that, Lord, you would enable me this morning through the Spirit, and me wisdom and guidance as I speak, that it would be your words will be your thoughts, Lord, and that you would teach us and instruct us this morning. We pray these things now in Jesus' name, amen. Now last week, if you remember, we saw that Paul finally arrived in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, he finally got there after all that time, he was traveling back there, of course, with the, the gift from the, the churches, the Gentile churches, okay, to give unto the, the Jerusalem church. And upon arrival in the city, we saw that Paul met with the elders of the church. He met with James and the other elders, and he gave them an account of what God had been doing. He reported back to them as a supporting church on uh, the missionary work. He basically caught them up on everything God had done in the, the time between he last saw them and now. And of course, the elders were naturally excited by what they heard, and they gave glory to God when they heard that God was doing such a great work amongst the gentiles but of course they also knew that not everyone was going to be happy that paul was in town not everyone was going to be happy to see the apostle paul you see rumors had been spreading that paul was uh, teaching the jewish believers to forsake their customs their traditions to forsake the law and these rumors of course were false and we talked about that last week but they had the potential to Divide the church. They had the potential to cause some real problems here within the church at Jerusalem and within the church at large if they were left unaddressed. And so Paul here is given advice by the elders to identify with four men who had a Nazarite vow. He's told to identify with them, go and observe the vow until it's complete, and pay for their sacrifices at the end. And the hope was that by doing this, Paul would demonstrate to the Jewish believers that he did respect the law the customs the traditions of the Jews and we finished in verse 26 last week where we saw that Paul uh, conceded he took their advice and he went to the temple and he joined with these men and Paul in doing so he laid aside his Christian liberty didn't he he restrained himself for the sake of the weaker brother and as we read on now this morning we see the events that unfold Following this, uh, this vow, if you like, following Paul going to the temple and fulfilling this vow, and the events that now follow really fulfil the prophecies that God had made concerning what would happen to Paul in Jerusalem. Okay, we talked about it on the way to Jerusalem. Constantly, Paul was warned by the Spirit about these events that were going to take place once he got to Jerusalem, and that's what we see happens now. These these words of the Lord are fulfilled. As the Spirit warned, Paul is now arrested. Paul ends up in the hands of the Romans. And Paul ends up eventually going to Rome. And so God here is ultimately in control of these events. I think that's really the focus here, the the point of this this morning. God really is in control of these events and indeed He's in control of our own lives as well as believers. He has a plan. He has a purpose. Things don't happen by chance. they, They happen for a reason. God is in control and first of all here this morning we see the riot at the temple we see the riot at the temple just read again verse 27 it says and when the seven days were almost ended the jews which were of asia when they saw him in the temple stirred up all the people and laid hands on him verse 27 we learn that now trouble arises in the temple and paul of course he's there because he's been observing the vow with these men and he's preparing to make the sacrifice now at the completion of that Nazarite vow. We're told here that the seven days were almost ended. Okay, this indicates that the time appointed for the sacrifice had almost arrived. Okay, it's basically almost over. He's about to um, give these sacrifices now at the temple and complete the vow. So Paul is in the temple for these sacrifices And it's now that we see this riot breaks out in the temple. And the riot is caused here, it says, by Jews which were from Asia. And so these are unbelieving Jews who caused the problem here. Okay, so This is an important piece of information. You see, Paul's trouble was not caused by the Jewish Christians. That was the whole reason he was in the temple, wasn't it? He was trying to appease his Jewish brethren. He was trying to make sure that the Jewish Christians were not offended... Trying to keep the unity of the body of Christ. And so the trouble here is not caused by believing Jews, the Christian Jews, it's caused by these unbelieving Jews from Asia. And they've probably traveled to Jerusalem, like Paul, to be there for Pentecost. Okay? The Jews would often make this pilgrimage for the feast. Okay? And so they've probably traveled, like Paul, all the way back to Jerusalem to be there in time for the feast. And in particular, it seems that they're from the region of Ephesus. And we gather that because of verse 29. Okay? It says in verse 29, "...for they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus and Ephesian." And they suppose that Paul had brought into the temple. So the fact that they knew this man, Trophimus, from Ephesus, they knew him by name, they recognized him, that indicates to us that at least some of these Jews are from Ephesus. Okay? Otherwise, they wouldn't know him, would they? They wouldn't recognize him. Okay, so they're at least from this same region. At least some of them are. You know, the Jews from Asia, they become quite experienced in causing Paul problems. They become quite experienced in stirring up riots against the Apostle Paul. You see, as Paul went traveling around his missionary journey, these are the ones who caused him the problems. He'd enter into the synagogues. He'd preach Uh, The gospel preached the truth concerning Christ as being their Messiah. And often the unbelieving Jews would then stir up trouble against Paul. That was like the the ongoing thing, wasn't it? As we looked at his missionary journeys, that was the the repetitive thing that happened in each city. Indeed, in Acts chapter 14, they went as far as stirring up the people to stone the Apostle Paul. Just go back quickly to Acts chapter 14. chapter 14 and verse 19 it says and there came thither certain jews from antioch and iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned paul drew him out of the city supposing he had been dead so there it uh we have these jews coming from antioch and iconium and they persuade the people to stone the apostle paul and of course we saw that he was left for dead but the lord healed him and he went he rose up and went back into the city But the point is, it was the unbelieving Jews who were the ones behind all this trouble, causing him all this strife along the way. And it's these same unbelieving Jews, the unbelieving Jews from Asia, who have followed Paul, if you like, back to Jerusalem. You see, as I said, they're in Jerusalem, most likely for the Feast of Pentecost. Okay, just like Paul. And you know, as they're in the city, as they're walking around the city, who do they see? They see Paul. The one who's been causing them all this strife back home is now with them in the city of Jerusalem. And basically they see it as an opportunity to finally be rid of him. We're in Jerusalem. We can get everyone on our side. Let's just get rid of him once and for all. And so we read here, that they stir up the people and they lay hands on Paul, crying out accusations against him. Let's just read uh, from the end of verse 27 it says in the second half there when they saw him in the temple stirred up all the people and laid hands on him crying out men of israel help this is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law and this place we'll finish there so they lay hands on paul and they're crying out accusations against the apostle paul here and basically what they do is that they and they cry out, they say, help, this is the man who's been causing us so much trouble back in Asia. This is the man causing us strife, going into our synagogues and teaching these things. And the things they accuse him of here, they accuse him of attacking the identity of the people, the law and the temple. These are, the, these are Jewish fundamentals. Okay, These are things fundamental to their national identity. And they accuse him of attacking all three, the people, the law and the temple. You know, these were accusations that were very similar to the ones that were laid against Stephen. If you go back to Acts chapter 6 just quickly. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 6 and read from verse 11, it says, Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against, our, against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. And we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. The accusations against Stephen are very similar to the ones that are now brought against the Apostle Paul. And of course Stephen as a result of those accusations was taken out and stoned to death, wasn't he? And Paul was there witnessing it before Paul got saved. As Saul, he was there and he witnessed Stephen's execution. And now Paul is being accused of the exact same things. Attacking the people, the law and the temple. But you know they go on here and they add a further charge against Paul. They add a further charge and this is the one that really sets them off if you like this is the one that really offends the jews and sets them into an uproar they charge him here with bringing a gentile into the temple okay just read the end of verse 28 it says and further brought greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place for they said sorry for they had seen before with him in the sea trophimus and ephesian whom they supposed that paul had brought into the temple So they accuse him here of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And it was an accusation that was made on the assumption that Paul had brought Trophimus with with him that day into the temple. It was an assumption. They'd seen the two together in the city, walking about, being together, and so they jumped to the conclusion that if Paul's here, Trophimus must be here as well. Sounded like a good accusation anyway. That's what they've done. They've jumped to this conclusion. They've made this assumption that Paul has brought a Gentile into the inner courts of the temple. You know, for a Gentile to enter into the inner courts was a capital offence. It was punishable by death. Gentiles were not allowed to go any further than the outer court, the Gentile courts. They were allowed to go in there, but they couldn't go any further into the inner courts. And if they did, as I said, they would be put to death. And apparently the Romans actually respected this law of the Jews. They actually granted the Jewish leaders the authority to carry out this sentence on anyone who broke the law, even a Roman citizen. And so the Romans actually consented and respected this law of the Jews. And so to make sure that no Gentile accidentally went further than they should in the temple, went into these forbidden areas, notices were placed on the wall at the entrance, in Greek and in Latin, to warn the Gentiles not to go any further. And apparently two of these inscriptions have actually been found. One was found in 1871 and the other in 1935, and they read this. They said, No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the temple and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. And so these were plastered at the the entrances into the inner courts, warning the Gentiles... And you see, the point is, this charge laid against Paul, if it is true, then Paul is guilty of abetting and participating in one of the most serious crimes that he can against Jewish law. That's what he's doing, if he's guilty. And that's why they're so upset. That's why there's an immediate response here to this accusation. It inflames the Jews against him. Read on in verse 30 there. It says, And all the city was moved, and the people ran together, And they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and forthwith the doors were shut. And they went about to kill him, uh, sorry, and as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. You know, the Jews of Asia got exactly what they wanted. This is the response they were looking for. The people are in an uproar. There is a riot. Everybody is upset. There's mob violence now, basically. Against the Apostle Paul. They grab Paul and they drag him out of the temple, out of the inner courts, shutting the doors behind him, into the court of the Gentiles, and they're going to kill him. They're going to put him to death. That's their intent here. And you know, once again, as we've seen many times in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul here is suffering persecution, isn't he? For the cause of Christ. You know, Paul truly knew what it meant to be persecuted for righteousness' sake, didn't he? No, he knew what it meant. He knew firsthand the truth of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10, 10 and onwards. just quickly go there and read it. We've been reading a lot on Wednesday nights, going through the Beatitudes. But Matthew chapter 5 and <clears throat> verse 10, it says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for grace your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Paul truly knew what it meant, didn't he? To suffer for righteousness' sake, to be you know evil spoken of, to be falsely accused. He knew what it meant, you know, perhaps more than anyone. Paul understood the truth of Matthew chapter 5. You see, Paul had done nothing to deserve this. These accusations were false. They were lies. He'd done nothing to deserve it, but he was once again suffering. Why? Because he identified with Christ. That really is what their beef is with Paul. That's what it is. They don't like the fact that Paul is preaching about Christ being, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ being the Messiah. And so Paul is suffering because he identifies with the Lord. And so Paul is now dragged out of the inner courts He's brought out into the court of the Gentile to be killed. And we see secondly now this morning that he's rescued by the Romans. So we've seen the riot in the temple. And secondly, we see the rescue by the Romans. Look in verse 31. It says, And as they went about to kill him, tidings came unto the chief captain of the band, that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them, and when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. In verse 31, we're told that as they're going about to kill him, this is what they're trying to do They want to put him to death. They're beating him relentlessly. They're beating Paul to death. And as they're doing this, word comes to the chief captain of the garrison that's stationed there in Jerusalem of this riot. Word reaches him that there's a riot taking place. There's mob violence. And it seems that, as I said, these events are taking place in the court of the Gentiles. And this means that it wouldn't have taken very long at all for word or for the noise of it, if you like, to reach the Roman garrison. You see, the Roman garrison was stationed in the fortress of Antonia, which was on the northwest corner of the Temple Mount. Okay, You have the temple and right on the northwest corner was Uh, that this fortress where the garrison was stationed. And the fortress was connected to the court of the Gentiles by by two flights of stairs, okay? So you only had to go up two flights of stairs and you're in the fortress. And so they would have heard this violence taking place. They would have heard it and they've swiftly gone and told the captain, the captain of the garrison. And this meant that they could quickly intervene, okay? This is why they're located there. In this position, they could oversee things, they could quickly intervene when there is a riot within the city. And that's exactly what happens here. Okay, as soon as the, the chief captain hears the noise, he hears what's taking place, he rushes to intervene and put a stop to it. And we're told in verse 32 that he took soldiers and centurions and ran down into the crowd. Okay, Verse 32, he immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left, beating of Paul. He took soldiers and centurions, it says. Now, apparently, each centurion was in command of 100 men. Okay, And we're told here that he took centurions, and so it's plural, more than one. So the indication is that he has at least 200 men with him as he goes down to intervene. That should give us some idea of the extent of this riot that's taking place here. Okay, This is not just a you know, 20 men, this is everybody in the temple is upset. This is a massive rite that's taking place. And at the center of it all is Paul being beaten relentlessly. From the end of verse 32, we see that it's not until they arrive, till the chief captain arrives, that they stop beating Paul. Okay, It says that uh, when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. It's only when they see him arrive that they stop. The chief captain comes with his 200 men and they finally stop beating Paul. You know, if they hadn't intervened when they did, Paul probably would have been dead, not soon after. Not soon after he would have been dead, that would have been the end. You see, the timing here of this intervention is perfect, isn't it? It's perfect. It's exactly at the right time to spare Paul's life. And the point is, this is no accident. This is not just by chance that they happen to arrive at the right moments. Nothing is by chance when you're the servant of God. This is not an accident. God is in control This is This is under the Lord's control. You know, God knew this was going to take place, didn't he? He told Paul, he'd, he'd given Paul warning that when you get to Jerusalem, this is going to happen, you're going to be afflicted, you're going to be beaten, you're going to be put in chains. Paul Paul had been warned by God, and here what God said is now taking place. And you know, the Romans, in a sense, were the tool that God used to save Paul's life. They were the tool. They were the means that God used to spare his life at this moment. In verse 33, we read that Paul is now arrested by the Roman soldiers. It says, Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him, to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. Now the chief captain naturally arrives on the scene. There's this great mob and in the center of it they're beating this man. Naturally he assumes that this man must have done something wrong. This man's done something to aggravate the crowd. This man is guilty of something. But he needs to be dealt with legally and not by mob violence. And so he intervenes. He arrests Paul assuming that he's guilty. And he binds Paul, it says, here, with two chains. And this indicates that he's handcuffed on either side to a soldier. Okay, He's one on each hand and then connected to a soldier on each side of him. And, you know, here we see the prophecy concerning what would happen to Paul in Jerusalem being fulfilled, don't we? In verse 11 of the same chapter, we read Agabus' prophecy. In verse 11 of chapter 21, it says... Uh, We'll go back to verse 10. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost, so so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and should deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Here we see the word of the Lord is fulfilled. Paul is now bound, and he is handed to the Romans reluctantly by the Jews, they didn't really want to give him over, but they give him over now to to the Romans and Paul is bound with chains. You see, the point is God knew this was going to take place. God had said this was going to happen and indeed God allowed all this to happen for a reason. You know, we know that ultimately God's plan was to get Paul to Rome, okay, And, and the Romans were the vehicle. God used them to send Paul to Rome to minister there. You know, even though Paul at this moment, he didn't know it all. I mean, we've got the liberty of, uh, the privilege of reading the rest of the story, don't we? We can see what's going to happen. But even though Paul couldn't see the rest of the story, even though he didn't know how it was all going to play out, he did know God was in control. He did know that God had seen this coming, and therefore God had a plan, God had a purpose. It was in the Lord's hands, and, and basically that's what Paul is doing. He's committing his life to the Lord's hands, isn't he? He's trusting the Lord. And the Romans here are the tool that God uses to preserve His life. And as you read on now in verse thirty-three and thirty-four, we see the chief captain here demanding to know what Paul has done. Okay, it says at the end of verse thirty-three, and he demanded who he was and what he had done. done. And some cried one thing, some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. He basically starts demanding. He says, all right, what's this man done? I've arrested him. Now, what's he accused of? What's, the, what's he guilty of? And he can't get a straight answer. And that seems to indicate that probably the instigators, they've long gone. They're hidden away. They've, they've got what they wanted. A, a mob violence has taken place. A riot's taken place. And so they've now left because they know they can't substantiate their accusations. So he's asking the people, and the people have no idea really what they're angry about. They just know we're angry at this man. And we're beating him. He can't get a straight answer. And so instead, he takes Paul to the castle, the fortress, um, to question him further and get to the bottom of it all. You know, as Paul is now led away, the crowd renews their rioting. This is how upset they are with Paul. They renew their rioting and they make it impossible for Paul to walk safely up the stairs. He has to be carried up the stairs. Look in verse 35. It says, and when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. For the multitude of the people followed after crying away with him. They're basically pressing after Paul and the soldiers here. And they're crying out and they're yelling and they're screaming. And the point is that Paul has to be carried by the soldiers. Carried up the stairs. And notice there at the end of verse 36, it says that they're crying out away with him. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? only 25 to 30 years earlier another mob had cried out away with him in john chapter 19 verse 15 we read but they cried out away with him away with him crucify him A mob only 25 30 years before this had cried out the same thing about the lord jesus christ and here paul is being dragged away by the romans and they're crying out the same thing they're saying away with him you know truly paul knew what it meant perhaps more than all of us, to partake in the sufferings of Christ. He really did suffer as Christ did, in the same manner as Christ did, at the hands of the Jewish people, his people, like Christ did. And now as Paul is led into the fortress, we see that he requests to speak to the crowd. And that's our third and last point this morning, the request to speak. The request to speak. Look in verse 37. It says, And as Paul was led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee, who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Now, Paul here, with proper respect to authority, he asks, he requests to speak to the captain. Paul here is, you know, he respects the Roman authority, doesn't he? He respects these Roman officials. There's no yelling and screaming here. He simply asks, he says, May I speak to thee? He's very, very respectful here in the way that he speaks to the chief captain. And The chief captain here, we see, we see is surprised that Paul can speak Greek and that he speaks it in an educated voice. He speaks it well. He says there at the end of verse 37, it says, Who said, canst thou speak Greek? He's surprised by this. And Verse 38 tells us the reason why. It says in verse 38, Art not thou that Egyptian? which before these days made us an uproar and led us out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers. The reason that the captain is surprised that Paul is speaking Greek in an educated voice is because he thought he was this Egyptian. He thought he was an Egyptian rebel who had not long before this caused an uproar in the city. Now, according to Josephus, yeah, Who's that historian, writes a lot about Jewish history. Josephus writes that not long before this, an unknown Egyptian had arrived in Jerusalem claiming to be a prophet of the Lord. And he gathered a large band of followings, uh, followers, sorry, and it's recorded in verse 38 as being 4,000 men. And he led these 4,000 men out to the, the Mount of Olives. He gathered them on the Mount of Olives, and he told them to wait there, Until at his word of command, the walls of the city would fall flat. He believed he was a prophet of God. He believed that the walls were going to fall flat. Well, that's what he taught his followers. And that when the walls fell flat, they would march into the city, overthrow the Roman governor, overthrow the Roman garrison, and take possession of the city, take it back from the Romans. Now, of course, the the governor, Felix, he learnt about this group, this band of men. That was gathering and planning to attack the city. And so he sent his troops out against them and he killed most of them and captured the rest of them. But surprisingly, the Egyptian leader got away. Well, perhaps not really surprisingly. Of course, he ran away. The Egyptian prophet got away. He escaped. And so the captain here has made the assumption that Paul is this Egyptian they're looking for. Okay, That's, that's the piece of history here that fits into this verse. Okay, he's made that assumption that Paul is this Egyptian prophet who has caused trouble in Jerusalem beforehand. And so he's surprised when Paul now addresses him in an educated Greek voice. You see, this is not what he was expecting. He was expecting this Egyptian man. And Paul now goes on to assure him that he isn't the Egyptian, but rather a Jew from the city of Tarshish. Look in verse 39... It says, but Paul said, "I am a man, which am a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people." So Paul now identifies himself. He says, "I'm just a, a Jew from the city of Tarsus," and he requests here permission to speak to the people, doesn't he? He says, "You know, I, I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people." You now, as we read this, we see the great heart of the Apostle Paul, don't we? Think about it. Paul has just been beaten relentlessly by this very crowd, his people, the Jews. He's been beaten unjustly, unfairly. He didn't deserve any of it. He'd done nothing wrong. And yet we don't read here that Paul is getting angry. He's not jumping up and down screaming about his rights. Rather, he politely requests that he might turn and address the crowd. And the reason that Paul wants to address the crowd is why? Because he cares for them deeply. He loves them, he's concerned about them. These are his people, the Jews, the bre- these are his brethren. And Paul would love nothing more than to see them saved. That is his heart's desire. Just turn to Romans 10, and Paul speaks about this desire. Romans 10. <coughs> Romans 10, and just read with me verse 1, it says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This was Paul's heart's desire. This was his prayer for his people, his burden. He wanted to see them saved. He wanted to see them recognize Jesus as their Messiah. And so even though Paul had been completely wrongly treated, He'd been beaten within the inch of his life by these people. Paul saw an opportunity to witness to this crowd. This is the mind of the Apostle Paul, the heart of the Apostle Paul. He sees this crowd as as lost in need of the Saviour and he sees them all gathered there and he thinks, hey, I've got a perfect opportunity to witness to all of these people and tell them the truth. Truly, Paul knew what it meant to put away all bitterness, didn't he? Now, he wrote later on in Ephesians chapter four and verse thirty-one. He said, "Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamour and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you." You know, Paul had every reason in human terms to be bitter, didn't he? He had every reason in human terms to be to be angry at the mob, to be upset, to feel. Uh, a sense of injustice but instead all that paul felt for them was love and compassion for his brethren who needed the savior and so he requests here this opportunity to to turn and to speak and address the crowd now as i was thinking about that this week i thought you know i wonder would we do the same thing would we react the same way as the apostle paul in a situation like this being abused being unjustly treated Would we react with compassion and love for those who need Christ? We ought to, it's the reaction of our Saviour, isn't it? I wonder, would we react in the same way? You know, in verse 40 now, we see that Paul is granted his request. It says, And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying you know the captain now gives Paul license he gives him permission to turn and to address the crowd address his people his brethren and we read that Paul he, he stands on the stairs he turns and he faces the crowd he beckons with his hand he, he waits for them to be silenced and when there's silence we read he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue saying it's like the chapter ends on a cliffhanger doesn't it that's why i got Samuel to finish there. It ends on a cliffhanger. And verse uh, chapter 22 obviously goes on, records for us Paul's words unto the crowd, and we're going to look at that next week. But you know, from the passage this morning, it's evident that God was in control of all of these events that took place in Paul's life. None of this snuck up on God. It wasn't as if God said, whoops, didn't see this coming, Paul. He did see it coming. And God had a plan. God had a purpose to it all. God took care of his servants through the Romans. You know, God had warned Paul that this was going to happen, that this was going to take place at Jerusalem. But, you know, Paul's concern throughout it all was not his own life. He wasn't concerned about himself. He wasn't concerned about his own health. Paul's concern was doing the will of God and the salvation of the souls of his brethren. That was his concern. You know, may that be our concern today as well. May our concern be to do the will of God, seeking the salvation of souls. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the Apostle Paul and, Lord, his great faithfulness, even, uh, Lord, in the midst of persecution, Lord. Lord, his love for the lost, his compassion. Lord, His willingness to, to put aside his, his hurt and, and the things that they've done unto him and turn and speak unto them uh, the truth, Lord. Lord, I pray you help us to Lord, react the same way. Lord, may our concern, Lord, in life not be ourselves and, and t- taking care of ourselves, Lord, but may it be your will and may it be the seeking for the salvation of the souls of men. Lord, give us a passion for souls, we pray, and give us the ability to, to stand and to boldly proclaim the truth. Be blessed now as we close and we pray these things in Jesus' name.